Hallelujah. That's wonderful. And uh, you might be thinking, well, you're not called to write poetry, but there is um, something apposite in, in what was shared there by, by Liz for this morning. Can I have that first slide up? And then um, you'll, you'll see as we, as we move in to what uh, we're going to be talking about a bit today. So we're going to look a little bit. I'm just going to set my watch. There's a preacher's prayer that says, uh, Lord, fill my head with useful stuff and then give me a nudge when I've said enough. And uh, that's my nudge at work there. So uh, if you've got a Bible with you, if you want to turn to Habakkuk chapter 2, last month uh, I looked a little bit at Habakkuk chapter 1. And um, I thought as a treat today I'd read from the printed scripture. Um, it's, it's not more holy than my app, it's just a different version to I've got in, in, in the notes. And uh, if you want to follow my notes, again, you can check them out on pastorkeithjackson.blogspot.com, which is, just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? That, but um, over a period of time, you'll be able to look back and you'll be able to say, okay, that's what he said in, in part one, that's what he's saying now as we're looking at Habakkuk again. And so Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, uh, we'll pick a few verses out later on as we go through, but this is what we read. Habakkuk says, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me. And what answer I'm to give to this complaint? Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not be proved false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright. But the righteous person will live by his faithfulness, or the righteous will live by faith. Amen. The book of Habakkuk is different to most other books. It's this conversation between this man who's got a burden for his nation. He's not just burdened for himself, he's got a burden for his nation. He is praying into that. In chapter 1, we saw him say, how long, O Lord, am I going to wait? How long before the answer comes? How long before this pain in me subsides? And God says, the waiting's nearly over. I'm going to do something in your days. I'm going to do something that you'll see. But the answer to Habakkuk's prayer... Okay, you want me to use this one now? Okay. I thought you just wanted two. (laughs) I wasn't sure there. Was it going to be in stereo or something? Let's put that one down there. Two minutes in, I've broken a microphone. Hallelujah. So, um, what was I saying? All right, who was listening? Anyway, so we have um, Habakkuk's prayer and God saying something in your days, um, but it's not what you expect. The Babylonians are coming. They're going to take you and the people into exile. This is going to be a tough 70 years ahead of you. I love it when God prophesies uh, or through a person or through his word and he speaks and I hear something, but what I don't want to hear is it's going to be a tough time ahead of you. You know, I think of the calling of Peter when Jesus called him and he said, come follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. 
He didn't then say to Peter in that one sentence, oh, as you're following me, you're going to struggle with some of the things I say and you're, you're going to rebuke me, but I'm going to have to tell you, get behind me, Satan, because what you're speaking is not of God. And, and then you're going to promise never to deny me and you're going to deny me not once but three times. And then I'm going to have to restore you and then you are going to struggle with taking the message to the Gentiles, but don't worry, I've prepared a banquet for you and a vision for you to have and you will see the animals coming out of heaven what I've declared clean you can't say is unclean and and eventually Peter you are going to die and you're going to die in a like manner to me but such is the honor you have for me you'll ask to be crucified upside down Jesus didn't tell Peter that when he called him you understand when God tells you something he's preparing you for the bad things but he doesn't always tell you all the bad stuff that's going to happen When I became a Christian, they said to me, become a Christian, everything will be fine with you. Within three years of becoming a Christian, we were burgled twice. The third burglary, they set fire to the house. I was bullied mercilessly at school. My parents had moved out. My brother and I were living on our own for a period of three years. People didn't really know that was going on, but it happened there in the household. And I can remember saying, Lord, they told me when I became a Christian, everything would be good. Bunch of liars. They didn't mean to lie. They didn't mean to create an impression for me that was different to the reality that I was going to experience. But what I came to realize was God is not just a deliverer. He is a sustainer. God doesn't deliver us from everything but sustains us through everything. And the testimony you heard today I think is one of the ways God is showing us that he sustains through a difficult time. And so Habakkuk is told in chapter 1, look to the nations and be watched and be utterly amazed. I'm going to do something in your days you would not believe even if you were told it. We come across this verse here in chapter 2 that the righteous will live by faith. One of the most quoted scriptures from the Old Testament in the New Testament. The righteous shall live by faith. Hallelujah. We're going to look a little bit and see what that means as we go through our text this morning because I don't think it means what we think it means. I think it means something more valuable and precious than maybe we've made it at times. So what do we discover? Habakkuk's response. God has spoken to him. Habakkuk goes back and he says to God, well, that's, I'm not really happy with that. But then this is what Habakkuk does. He, he sets up what one version calls a watchtower. And the version I read this morning says, I'm going to station myself on the ramparts. I'm going to a high place. And why is he doing that? He's saying, I'm going to get deeper into prayer than I was already. You see, sometimes when God says to you something's going to happen, we get all passive. And there's a, a Christian passivity that we, we dress up as a spirituality. And what we do is say, oh, God's spoken to me, that's fine. So now I'm just going to sit down and I'm just going to wait for God to do something. And I'm just going to park myself here. Oh, God, that's it, wonderful. I just wait now for heaven to open. But you know when we're told to wait upon the Lord, that is not a passive stance. When Isaiah says, those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, waiting on God is not a passive thing. Waiting on God is an active thing. It's a thing when actually, Lord, I'm going to go deeper into prayer to see the things that you've said are going to happen, happen. 
I'm not going to abdicate my responsibility and therefore say I'm going to stop praying into those things as we mentioned last time, to keep knocking, to keep praying, to keep believing that what God has said is going to happen is going to happen. And so what uh, Habakkuk does is he goes to a higher place. He says, my current level of spirituality is not going to see in what God has promised. So I need to go somewhere higher. I'm going to go to a watchtower. I'm going to go to a rampart. And I'm going to look and see if what God has promised is on the horizon. I want to make sure that I don't miss it. You see, my friends, when God gives you a promise, you have to go to a higher place in prayer. You have to begin to get hold of that and begin to say, Lord, I'm not going to let go of it until I see it. When I was a young man and God said to me, he said, you know, you're going to marry a woman and you're never going to be divorced. I said, hallelujah. That's, that's wonderful. That was a big promise for me. Because in those, you know, I'd come through a single parent situation. My, my mother had married and divorced three times. Uh, in between all that, there were numerous boyfriends. I'm actually on my fourth surname. Jackson was not the name I was born with. Now, you'll discover more of this about me as, as we get to know each other more. But needless to say, when God said, you'll meet a woman, which is always good. Right, Joe? I shouldn't have to prompt you to say amen at this point. <laughs> Newly engaged. And <laughs> you, need, you need to position yourself so her elbow gets you. Right, there you go. That's the one. It's a good word and that you'll never get divorced. I thought, wow, that's got to be a special woman to put up with me. But instead of then sitting in a passive place of, well, I'm not going to do anything, I began, I wrote a list and it was in the front of my uh, paper uh, in print Bible at the time. And, uh, and I prayed into that list every single day. Every day. Until we met on a conference. I won't give you all the soppiness of it. But we met on a conference across a crowded room. And our eyes met that moment. And I looked at her and across the room, 30 feet away, God said, There's your wife. Go get her, cowboy. <laughs> Yeehaw! <laughs> I'm on my way. We've been married 35 years this May. 35 years. You see, when you get hold of something, God gives it to you. And for me, that was really important that I was married. For many people, that is not the most important thing. You know, marriage doesn't equal holiness in the Christian life. We do know that, right? Singleness can be something that is beautiful as well. But for me and my makeup, singleness wasn't going to work. And, you know, I don't know about Barbie. She's never discussed divorce with me. She has let me know murder is an option now and again. You see, if you'll get into the watchtower of prayer, God will take your watchtower and he'll change it into a lighthouse. And it becomes a place where God begins to speak to you and he begins to give you things. And just as Liz was saying, and I think she was really brave this morning because that was a very personal testimony. You know, the message there is God is not calling us all to be poets. You understand? Because if I was a poet, I'd be really rubbish at it, to be, to be fair. That's not what God is saying. But I, I picked up there, God is saying, now it's time to come out of that place and begin to share those things wider. 
You see, when God is speaking to you, he turns your watchtower into a lighthouse. He turns it into a place of warning for others. And this is, I didn't write this message with you in mind, by the way, Liz. This seems really appropriate. Write it down. Write down what God is beginning to tell you. The Lord says to him, write it plainly so that others could read it. Now, most messages I've heard on this, write down the revelation, make it plain, and so on. I've been around church a long time um, now, you know, and, and every time I've heard this preached, it's about church visions. It's about, you know, we must make it clear, and there's something about that, but this isn't what, why Habakkuk's being told this. He's not being told you're going to gather a congregation together. What he's being told is it's, it's going to take some time for this to happen, So you need to be reminded about this, and people are going to have to read it. People are going to have to understand it and get hold of it. I want you to know that I I write things down all the time, and uh, I make notes partly because I forget things. Um, It's amazing what's happened to my body over the years. You know, I've got less hair than I used to, but I'm growing it in places I never knew I could. And, uh, you know, has, has anyone ever been to a Turkish barber? You ever been to a Turkish and they set light to your ears? Men, you know what I'm talking about? I mean, ladies, you don't know what we suffer with. We get to a certain age and that you go to a barber and they set light to you. And the trouble is, when they flick that stuff on my ears, it smokes for three days. There's a lot of hair going on in there. And one of the things is uh, that's changed for me is I, I don't have the retention that I used to have. And I don't know why that is. That might be because now I'm in my <clears throat> something or others, you know, midlife, I'm told. Um, I'm in that period of, of life. I don't know if that's because of the reliance now on, on sat-navs and apps and things. You know, it used to be when I, when I was a sales rep um, years ago, and I, I used to have my car boot was full of maps that's that's what I had to live with and every evening I'd plan my route and everything and I'd memorize that route route and never got lost I have to say I've been lost more times with a sat nav than I ever was without one why because my mind has gone to mush I have no idea where I'm going when I'm driving around things have changed so I write I write things down a lot and God tells us write something down why is he wants us to do that to remind us Remind us, when I was packing up our home in South Africa and boxing things up, I I found some of the old scriptures that God has spoken to me about and and my wife about and some of the prophecies that we had. And I reread them and I said, oh, there's there's, there's some things there I can see God has done, but there are other things I'm still waiting for God to do. Now, I want you to know when you jot something down, be it for your own journal or you think it's for someone else, it is not the same as writing the word of God. It's not the same. Habakkuk was writing a book in the Bible. He didn't know that at the time. You understand? He didn't know that that was going to be collated into the, the canon of Scripture and it was going to become something that we could all read, you know, two and a half thousand years or so later, or three thousand years later. He wasn't aware of that. And so, but when you're writing something down, it is not the same as Scripture. It must be weighed and tested against Scripture. In fact, everything we think we hear from God, the Bible says must be tested. In 1 Thessalonians 5, we're told we are to test everything. Um, We like testing other people if they've heard from God. We don't like it when we have to kind of weigh up ourselves or 
invite someone into our heart, to, into our life to say, can you help me? Is, is this God? And, and I have to say, most of the things I think are God are too much cheese before bedtime. It's just my experience. Because I find that God is consistent to his word. And so when I look at that and I think God is saying something to me and I write it down, it has to be consistent to his word. It has to be subject to the Bible. Now Habakkuk writes down here what God is saying to him. And that prophecy is about the Babylonians are coming. That prophecy is about you're about to go into exile. There's going to be 70 years of difficulty. That was not a fantastic encouragement. But also within it, we are told that those who oppress you are going to be judged. That God is going to do something about the situation. He writes it down because it's going to sustain the people. The next time I look at this, uh, I'll show you something that Habakkuk actually sets it to music. It becomes a song of the exiles. It's quite an amazing thing that we see there. But in this moment, Habakkuk is writing it down. Why? Because he is going to tell others. He's going to tell others. Make it plain on tablets that they may run who reads it. In the version I read this morning, the NIV, it says, write down the revelation and make it plain on the tablet so that a herald may run with it. What does that mean? It means that he's going to give it to someone, and that someone is a herald. And that person is going to run from village to village and gather the people around in the village square, and he's going to read to them that tablet. He's going to read to them the prophecy and say, this is going to happen, but God is with you. This is going to happen, but God is going to take you through it. You see, in our, sometimes our our Pentecostal spirituality, we get caught up in some of the more charismatic elements of our faith. And and, and I I love the the moving of the gifts. I love it when, you know, I read in scripture that, that wisdom was given to people, not just in a church meeting, but in a public place. I love it when the spirit is moving. And I love all those things, but sometimes we, we are so naive a little bit and we make it so, sound so spiritual that we place ourselves on a platform higher than anybody else. And that, that isn't what the Spirit is doing or about. The Bible tells us, knowing this first, in one, uh, 2 Peter 1, it says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. Oh, my Lord, what does that mean? It means that we need to avoid what Paul and the early church were battling. One of the things they're battling with was a thing called Gnosticism, a secret knowledge. You know, God has told me something, and I can't really reveal it to you. I I remember when I was pastoring in a town, and uh, a young guy called me, and he said, I want to take you out for coffee. I mean, that's a way to my heart straight away, you understand. Uh, I'll come and meet you for coffee. We go out and we sit there and, and um, he says, uh, the reason I, I've wanted to meet with you is I've heard you're doing good things. I said, that's very kind. He said, but I also want to tell you that I'm planting a church in the local cinema. I said, that's fantastic. That's wonderful. How can we help you? He says, no, I, I don't really need your help. I'm just telling you this so that next Sunday when everyone leaves your church and comes to my church, you'll understand why they've done that. And I said, well, okay, you know, I I trust the people, um, but can you tell me what your vision is? Because to be honest, if you've really got something from God that the people in my church need, you won't have to steal them, I'll send them. 
I'll send them to you. That's, that's it. And so he said, well, it's like this. If you were spiritual enough, I wouldn't have to explain the vision to you. That God would deposit it in your heart and you would understand it. And so God has told me it's only those who have the same revelation that I can really work with. So I smiled and took another sip of my decaf Americano with hazelnut sugar-free syrup in it, praying for patience. And then the Lord spoke to me and said, tell him this. And I told him exactly this. I said, if you go down the route of secret revelations, your church will be closed within two years. But my door will always be open to you. At which point he got up in the, in the middle of the coffee shop, shaked his feet. I'm shaking the dust from my feet. All that stuff. And stormed out. 18 months later, his church closed down. Never really went anywhere. See, no prophecy of scripture. Whatever God says to you is not of a private interpretation. We don't have time anymore, I believe, in where we're living in our current age. We don't have time anymore for secret revelations. Why? Because people need to hear your story. They need to hear what God has done in your life. And there is, uh, there's a lot of things going on in our world at the moment that are making Christians fearful of telling their stories. I can remember um, my wife in her workplace was invited at the time by her supervisor in, over in Essex. And the supervisor said, please come into my office. And as she went into the office, the, the, the supervisor closed the blinds. And Barbie thought, I'm in trouble now. And she said to her, Barbie told me all this later, she said to her, I know you're a Christian. I know you're a Christian because you still wear a cross around your neck. And our uniform code says you're not allowed to. But we've let it go. And incidentally, there's been a court case since this, separate to this, where you are allowed to wear your cross at work and people can't stop you doing it. But anyway, she told her all this and she said, but I've got a problem in my home. And the problem in my home is this, and she explained what the situation was. She said, you're the only Christian I know. Will you pray for me? But then she said to her, she said, I can understand if you refuse that request because I'm your superior, and you might think that I will take you to some kind of uh, report you or anything. And she says, I'm not going to report you. I'm broken. I need some help. Can you pray for me? And Barbie didn't say, well, my faith is a secret. She said, I'll pray with you. Prayed with her, came home to me and said, you better pray for me because I think I'm going to lose my job. A few months later, the same thing happened. She said, can you come in? And they closed the blinds. She said, this is what happened as a result of your prayer. Can you pray again? Barbie prayed again. And we don't know if that situation was, was ever resolved. It was a very personal thing to her. And, uh, but I do know this, there is a time to speak, and God will tell you when that is. So Barbie, that was really clear, and really quite frightening at the same time, you know, because uh, there's, there's one preacher in the family, and there's one Bible teacher. I'm the preacher, she's the Bible teacher, you understand? And, and she's the pastor. If, if you want a love and a hug, she's the one to go to. If you want, if you want strong counsel, I'm the one to come to. You know, we, we're a good team within that. But there will be a time to speak, my friends, so that others can run with it. 
You see, what God is promising you may take time. It says in the word here, for the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and not delay. There is a time for everything. Now, you've been around the Bible a lot enough and around church enough to know that there are two words principally used in the scriptures to describe time. There is a, a Greek word that is kairos, which is like a window of opportunity. And then there is chronos, which is an appointed time. And, and what Habakkuk is being told, there is a set time, an appointed time. This is not a window moment. There is a moment coming when everything will change for you. There is a moment coming for the nation when I'm going to intervene and begin to do something visibly, although I'm already working invisibly. You see, sometimes I look back on my life and I know that God has worked invisibly. You know, sometimes I look back and I see the fingerprints of God on a situation. Do you ever feel like that? Sometimes I look back in my life and I think, God must have been wearing gloves because I don't even see his fingerprints. Though sometimes we don't understand it, but this is an appointed time. And he says there's going to be a season for this and it's going to happen. In fact, we could translate the Hebrew something like this. The promise will linger for the God-appointed time, but it will not be late. Oh, I thought that was quite good. You see, what we're waiting for God to do in our nation, we're saying, Lord, how long can we tolerate certain things going on? How long before the, the, the energy crisis is resolved, these, these companies that are uh, posting record profits, yet people are suffering? How long before we see the church taking its rightful place and stand and, and, and not arguing in, a, in, a, in, in some debate about what is right and wrong, but actually out in the world doing what the salt should be doing? How long before we see racial injustice totally dealt with properly? How long, Lord, for all these things that we're asking God for? And I want you to know, for many of these things, God has said there is an appointed time. And it is coming the same way that we are waiting for the second coming of Jesus Christ, an appointed time. Until that time comes, he sustains us. But there is a time coming when he will deliver us. Because he is both sustainer and the deliverer. Well, I thought that was quite good. See, we're told here the righteous shall live by faith. Probably one of the most misquoted scriptures in some of our charismatic and Pentecostal circles. See, it's not presumption. It's not wishful thinking. It's a foundational belief that God is good and keeps his promises. Now, I've heard it quoted that, you know, uh, in conversations with, with Christians, say, I'm, I'm, I'm living by faith, I'm, I'm trusting God. What are you trusting God for? Well, I need that new A-class Mercedes, you know, the brand new one. I'm like, wow, that's incredible. What are you living by faith for? I need a bigger house. What are you living by faith for? I need, I need a wife, I need a husband. Sometimes I have to say, you're already married. You know, God's already answered that prayer. All these kind of things. I'm living by faith. I'm believing. We think that having faith is a mark of having material things. My goodness me. I have to tell you, that's a very Western view of Christianity. That's an incredibly selfish Western viewpoint of Christianity. And is not based on scripture. 
not based on scripture. I remember a man come to see me after church one day in my first church and um, God had done some amazing things in his life but he disagreed on the teaching I brought that morning about finances. And he came up to me and he, he's, he named a preacher. I won't name the preacher but well known uh, from the United States of America and he says, you know that preacher, that preacher he wouldn't agree with what you just taught. And uh, forgive me for this Pastor Billy. But I said to him, I said, that preacher doesn't answer his phone at three in the morning when your wife phones me in tears. That preacher doesn't run to help your daughter when a horse has been poisoned. I mean, this was all happened. The horse has been poisoned. She doesn't know why. And she wants someone to pray for a horse. Her daughter, his daughter actually phoned me up and said, if you don't come, I'm calling the Reiki healers. So I went and had a word of knowledge. She moved the horse to another field. The horse recovered. She said, how did you know there was something in that field that was poisoning my horse? No idea. But God knew. All these things. And I said to him, if you want to hold to that teaching that says if you put £100 in the offering, God's going to give you 1000 back next week, then I suggest you pack your bags, get on a plane, go to America and sit in his church and let him pastor you. Because right now, he's not your pastor. And we preach the word of God here. We don't preach greed. You see, my friends, what you have to understand is when we say we're living by faith, it's very much the faith that Liz was explaining to you not so long ago. That it's not going well. That there are struggles. But God is speaking to me in the midst of the storm. You see, when we say we're living by faith, it means that we're going to hold on to him in spite of the worst circumstances possible. When they say the righteous will live by faith, they're about to go into exile and be forbidden to worship. And when they do worship, it's for the entertainment of the Babylonians. We'll look at that next time I deal in Habakkuk. Living by faith is to believe that God won't be late even if he seems to be taking his time. Living by faith is that we understand that he is our deliverer but will sustain us. Faith to hold on to God. A repentant faith because they're going into exile because of their disobedience. A faith that says, Lord, I have messed up. I confess my sins. I am turning back to you. Faith to live differently to everyone else around them. That's when we read those words, the righteous shall live by faith, is what it means. It's not trivialized by, you know, oh, you know, Keith, you, you drive such an old car. I drive a little sports car. I get a lot of ribbing for that. I do. I want to tell you that my sports car costs 25% of the money that you're spending for your car. You know, and... and but I get some ribbing for that. People say, oh, it's a hairdresser's car. I don't care. I don't care if a hairdresser previously owned it. If a hairdresser previously owned it, my goodness me, I'd like to know that hairdresser because they probably give a fantastic haircut as well as used to drive a fantastic car. You see, when we look at these things, I can remember in, in a church I was pastoring and I purchased a new car and I had young family at home and we had those arguments. I don't know if you ever have, have that. Mom, dad, he's got his elbow in me. Mom, dad, backseat stuff. So I bought this people carrier. I bought this thing. It looked like the 18 van, if you're old enough to remember the 18 van. I bought this thing and it had 
alloy wheels and everything. Or I said, but I didn't buy it for that. I bought it for the number of seats. And I assigned each child a seat. Put their name on. I said, this is your seat. This is your seat. This is your seat. Your elbows shall never meet again. But somebody came up to me after church and I said, I'm so glad to see my pastor is finally driving a car worthy of my church. It's like, what does that even mean? I bought this car because of elbows and squabbles, not because I thought God was going to bless me. And I want you to know, as soon as my kids grew up and left home, I was in a two-seater roadster smiling all the way to church. see, my friends, we have to understand something about faith. We can trust him because he's true to his word. The Numbers 23 says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of a man that he should repent. Has he spoken and will not make it good? We can trust him because there is no higher name than his. In Genesis 22, making a covenant, he says, I swear by myself. There's no higher power When people talk about the universe is doing something for you, the universe is under God. You understand? That's just a mysticism that people have dressed up. When when Darwin came up with the the evolutionary theory, and, and there's many useful things within science and that stuff, but then the attention turned to Mother Nature and, and the co- coining this phrase, Mother Nature, and attributed Mother Nature with every attribute of God. And today, if you watch TV, you'll discover when they talk about the universe, they attribute every attribute of God to the universe. But God is above all of that. There is no higher name than his name. So he swears by himself, and then we can discover, we can trust him, because it actually is his name, because in Revelation 19, it says, there is a rider coming on a white horse whose name was Faithful and True. See, back in the day when I became a Christian, we used to sing a hymn. And uh, it was by uh, Russell Carter. And it, I won't sing it to you. No, I'm really not going to sing it to you. Some of you. It went standing on the promises of Christ my King. Through eternal ages, let the praises ring. Glory in the highest, I will shout and sing. Standing on the promises of God. Standing. Standing, standing on the promises of who? Christ my Savior. Hallelujah. You see, we need to be reminded that the promises we stand on are solid. They are guaranteed. They are timeless. And they are timely. Hallelujah. Timeless and timely. That's my God. That's the one we love. That's where we stand today. For we know this, God is at work. He's still at work. In Habakkuk 2 verse 14, later on in this text, he writes these incredible words. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Oh my Lord, I'm still waiting for some of that. I'm still waiting for the world to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. You see, the word of God is spreading. It has not stopped. No matter what has happened this week in in some of the wings of the church, in terms of some of the decisions that have been made, I can tell you that God is still working. I remember when I became a Christian, and and people say, why do you want to do that for? Don't you read the newspapers? They're saying that there won't be a church in 20 years' time. 
that by the turn of the century, when we go into the 21st century, there will be no church in the United Kingdom. Well, here we are, I still look around, there is still a church in the United Kingdom and it's bigger than it was back in 1980. What is God doing? He's working in ways that we did not anticipate. The word, the church around the world is still under attack, but the church is still not defeated. We are undefeated. Why? Because we are in Christ's victory. The way we fight is not with our tongues and our words and our fists, but on our knees. We go to the higher place in prayer. And we say we're standing on the ramparts, we're standing on the watchtower to see if God is actually at work and to see him working. You see, we know a time is coming when every knee will bow to the name of Jesus. And we can bow to him as our savior or we can bow to him as our judge. That choice is still ours. But what we understand is he is still working. He has the first word over creation He has the last word over creation, for he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And if we care to listen, he has all the middle words as well. Oh, my friends, in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 20, there is an amazing verse, and it says, The Lord is in his holy temple. Let the earth be silent before him. Literally, it means... The earth, God is seated on his throne in his temple. Everyone else, shh. See, there's a lot of noise around. During the pandemic, I don't know how you coped with social media and all those things. And we found in in South Africa where we were living, we were just bombarded. I mean, everyone became an expert about everything. It didn't matter if... If the guy was sitting in his bedroom, you know, in his mother's bedroom in his pajama bottoms and, and, and on YouTube and all this, so there was just so much noise. And so I went through an exercise of muting people. It's so nice to mute people, isn't it? You're not meant to say that as Christians and pastors, but wouldn't it be nice if everyone just had a mute button kind of, you know, somewhere on the end of their nose or on their ear or something? And if you've got too much, you just mute them, yeah. Like this message this morning, you might want to mute it, I don't know. There was just so much noise. So I decluttered all of that and I said, Lord, what does it mean? And it was this sense of, I'm still in my temple, Keith. I'm still on the throne. Whatever difficulty you're going through, whatever you are facing at the moment, God is still enthroned on high. He's still above it all. And that means if you are at the end of your living faith... You can turn around to cancer and say, Shh, your sickness, be quiet. The trouble at work, silence. The storm in your life, the Lord's on his throne. You must be quiet now. That doesn't mean to say you're walking in victory over anything particular. It just means to say there is room for you to have breath. Because God is saying, despite everything else that you're told, despite everything that you are facing, despite every challenge you have, I'm still seated on the throne. I'm still God. There is no one above me. He's still enthroned in your heart. He's still the Lord of your life. 
And sometimes we have to say, I don't need to listen to this anymore. Some of us are addicted to YouTube and you're just going to the next thing or TikToks. I remember reading of a teenager the other week and she said, I've learned more from TikTok than I've ever learned in school. So I thought, I'll go and have a look. What's she watching? Complete tripe. That's, that's a Greek word, you understand. And it means tripe. It means, you know, you're taking the intestines of something and trying to make it appetizing. Now, when I was in Africa, I ate a lot of things, I have to say. I ate a thing called mapani worms, which are dried out moth larvae, about that long. The moths are about the size of your hand. They, they get these things out of the tree and they dry them out and you eat them either with a gravy or whatever. They've got like hundreds of legs. I spent the rest of the day picking these legs out of my teeth. I've eaten flying ants. There's a flying ant season. They would go and pick up all these flying ants and they'd fry them. They taste like butter. They're, they're really nice, actually. They take, take the wings off, you know, because, yeah, de-wing them like... Don't look disgusted. You pluck a chicken. You, you take the wing off and you, you fry this thing up. It tastes like butter. I mean, in fact, I ate it and I said, can't believe it's not butter. And no one understood that joke over there. But I couldn't believe it wasn't butter. It was like eating butter. But then they offered me, the same day, they said, will you try this? And it was like this long sausage-looking thing with hairs on it. And I said, what is that? And they said, it's the intestine of a cow. It's beef tripe. I said, you're all right. You're okay. Listen, a lot of what the world is putting out there right at the moment is beef tripe. But you have the ability to say, actually, I don't need to listen to that. I don't need to subject myself to that because God is on his throne. Let the rest be silent. My friends, if you want to live by faith, you have to create a prayer tower in your life. You have to do it. One of the most prayerful men I ever met was Brother Young from China. And uh, some of you would have come across him in the, the series, uh, the book, The Heavenly Man. And uh, he came and he spoke at an event in Chelmsford. And uh, the pastors, and we got together with him before the event. And he, he, he looked at me and he kneeled down in front of me and said, will you pray for me? And I'm like, mate, this, this is the wrong way around. This is totally the wrong way around. And I fumbled some prayer, you know, because, and, it, and it's not like I, I have, you know, Christian heroes in the sense of worshipping some, but I was, I was just so humbled. I was like, I was like why, why, why would you want me to pray for you? And he said, well, I'm in my prayer tower right now. Won't you join me? I thought, wow, I'll join you in your prayer tower, mate. I'll be there with you. And so I fumbled out this little prayer for him. If you want to live by faith, you're going to have to create a prayer tower in your life. And that's not just more organized church meetings. I know some of you have spoken about that and you'd like some more things around prayer. That's fantastic. But you know what? A church meeting is not going to be an exchange or a replacement for your own prayer tower. You say, oh, I've got a busy life and I've got all this. We've all got busy lives. But you need a prayer tower. Your prayer tower can be when you're driving to work. You need to be praying because God wants to do something for the nation. And when you begin to hear from God in that place, your faith, your living faith will be strengthened. But remember, God has set the time for deliverance. And in the meantime, 
every other noise. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. I pray, Father, that in today there's been something that has blessed and encouraged someone and many. That, Lord, you would speak to us. Lord, we wouldn't forget the things that we've heard today. Lord, that we would take it and it would be rooted in our life. Father, that you would do something in our nation. We cry out how long, but Lord, we're not going to be passive. We are going to create a place in our hearts, in our lives, where we put you first in prayer, where we seek your face, and that, Lord, that which you revealed to us would not be a secret, but would be something to bless others in our church, in our town, in our communities, that, Lord God, we'd be a church walking in the word of knowledge, even if we don't know it's called that. That we would have that revelation for the woman at Tesco's sweeping the, you know, on the cash register there. We would, when we're filling up with petrol and we meet the cashier in there, we would have something for them. That, Lord, when we're going to our work and we would be able to say openly, we're Christians, we love Jesus but we are here to bless you. That, Lord, that you would create in us such a passion for our nation and our town that we would run to prayer to hear from you. We commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.